0: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lock, talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. And again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. And we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. One more time, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So it's been interesting since last Sunday, and I uh, thank you guys for um, listening to the archives. This was actually a great, great week for the archive hits. I'm not sure, you know, who's listening to this show like this, but thank you. You know, I'm pretty sure we have a lot of new listeners, and I appreciate you guys for listening in and for, you know, the support. So, you know, hey, we're going to move forward. We're talking about some things. Definitely, you know, I made it a part four because there were some things that I was not able to get to last week. You know, the conversation, the dialogue went very, very well last week and kind of got thrown off a little bit, but not so much because the issues we discussed were issues that are now, you know, that we now face in our communities. And so, you know, with that particular conversation that goes back to, you know, a podcast I did a while ago, and, I mean, it's still relevant today, and we're going to do another show about where do we go from here or where do we grow from here. What do we do? How do we do it? Who do we listen to? you know, um so I was getting my locks getting the maintenance on my locks done this week and sitting there and across you know, across the on the other side of the um salon, but we could see them directly were the barbers. So, you know, it was always great conversation in a beauty shop and a barber shop. And so I started talking to one of the young men who was getting their hair cut. And it grew into a really beautiful, you know, conversation, and we were talking about some of the young people, as well as, you know, just in general, the black community. And we hit on a lot of great points about, you know, how to get our money to recycle within our community, and these, you know, other, you know, we have a bunch of businesses, you have Asian businesses. Um, Arab businesses in our communities and trying to get them to be a little bit more supportive in the community. So it's a lot of great ideas that we kicked around. And I'm telling you, you know, so many different opportunities out there. But I posed the same question to them that I've been posing to people who call the show. We know how to create businesses. We know how to make them flourish and prosper. The question is, how do we keep it? How do we keep the wealth? How do we keep, you know, what we've accumulated? Because history has shown us that once we reach a certain plateau of success, how you have, you know, white people who aren't as successful coming in and destroying it. And we've given example after example. And, again, you know, history repeats itself. So it's like how do we react differently? How do we protect what we created? And this is something that we've talked about. Even with, you know, the bloggers today, you know, there's been all kinds of controversy, you know, with the bloggers, whereas you'll have black bloggers going out there. And even with, you know, what we're doing now, this is called, you know, blog talk, right? And I've seen a lot of my material, you know, um, showing up in other people's work, and so have these other bloggers. But, you know, the question is, you know, number one, especially when you see it in white publications, number one, why aren't you giving credit to the person who took time out to do the research and actually write it out or to, you know, present it on, you know, blog talk shows. In addition to that, it's not just white publications. You have other minorities that are taking the work of other people and, you know, and and, and trying to act as though it was their own. So it's just really interesting. Um, and, I mean, you know, what I'm talking about, These these are just, little blogs, narratives, essays, what have you, Um, what do you do when you have an angry white mob coming at you trying to take all that you worked for? So, you know, we're going to get into a little bit of that, but, you know, the discussion last week, excellent. And I want to go in on that a little bit. You know, what's interesting is you have these people out here you know, that listens to shows like this one and others and, you know, maybe read newspapers, editorials, some of the blogs, what have you. And then they want to respond and give their perspective, which is fine, but then they take on the attitude that their perspective is the only one. It is the only right perspective And if you do not share their perspective or bow down and allow them to steamroll over you, then you're wrong. And I just find that interesting because, you know, even within some of these current movements that, you know, I've been involved with, and it's interesting how you have, you still have that misogyny. You still have that sexism. You still have that patriarchal mindset. And it's really interesting especially when you come across older men and and you know where I, what I'm referencing, older black men who want to tell us, you know, black women what to think, how to think, that their experiences are correct, that they should be in in charge. They should be the leadership. And you know a number of other problematic you know um um situations or issues that you know that we have to deal with now I've talked about how during Black Friday and you know in other cases, whereas there's you know some conflict a little power struggle there, and how I've seen some of these black men you know, pushing around some of these young folks and also pushing around some of the women. And you know, I definitely have a problem with that. And I mean again, you have people calling these shows and basically they feel as though their experiences, you know, you know, supersede any of our experiences. And, you know, we had to shut that down last week. And so I find it interesting. Um Just looking at it all. And, you know, I, again, I don't talk at people. I allow people to have their own opinions. And I am a gracious host. I'll let you talk for a little while. And, you know, sometimes I try to get in there. Sometimes it's a bit difficult. But, you know, I do jump in there and, you know, give my opinion. But when I say I do not agree, then, you know, you have these people acting as though you know, the world is about to end because I don't agree with something that they said. And you have your experience, I have mine. You have your perception, I have mine. And it does not matter how old you are, if you're a male or a female, you do not get to tell me what to say, what to think, or what to do. We can share ideas with one another. We can agree to disagree And we can move on. But if you think you're going to come over here and try to run this ship, then, you know, you're in for a big, big surprise. So it's just really interesting because even within, you know, um, the gay rights movement, even within the feminist and secular and a number of these other movements and communities, You have a lot of misogyny and a lot of sexism, Um, and, and, and a lot of these people still have that patriarchal mindset. You know, one of the examples from last week was when the gentleman said that, you know, he's the warrior and that he didn't want his woman bearing arms. And I'm here to say that I have quite a few friends and quite a few colleagues that (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you, they are very well trained in arms, and they could defend themselves if the situation arises. I mean, look at the political climate in this country right now. Again, I make no qualms about my being one of the defenders of the Second Amendment. Yes, I do believe that we have the right to bear arms, and given what we're seeing happening today, in America specifically, you know, and I mean, this is really happening globally, you know, Because, but I live in America, so um, you all, I'm telling you, you better be prepared to defend yourselves because, you know, look at what's happening, you know, Donald Trump, you guys, and, you know, the way that they treated that young woman, I didn't get a chance to talk about it last Sunday, because I was still pretty upset about that. And, you know, the young people that they kicked out, and basically, you know, the whole thing is frightening, just the way all of this is set up. And if you go back and you listen to Donald Trump, when he was talking about the, you know, the young black people that got kicked out, And he started talking that talented 10th bullshit, that there is no such thing as a talented 10th. What he said, Donald Trump, that is, he said 10% of them are great, 20% of them are good, and the rest is trash. And that's exactly what he said. Go Google it, look it up. And that's another thing that, you know, really gets me is people want to, you know, go toe-to-toe about different things that I speak about on the show, but they never want to go out and do the research for themselves. And I would advise you guys, go back and listen to the show that I did with Dr. Jeffrey Perry. We talked about Huber Henry Harrison and the invention of the white race. If you go back and you listen to that show, you'll find a lot of good information. But, you know, again, I'm sitting here, And I'm looking at the political climate in this country, and we all know where I stand with these candidates and how I really don't like any of them. And I'm not the only one. I found it interesting. I posted an article yesterday from the Orlando Sentinel, and they were talking about how they had no one to endorse, you know, and and that is a conservative paper, and they didn't, you know, endorse any of the four Republicans that are running for, you know, president. It's actually more than four running. It's just that the other people, they forgot about, they don't even mention them anymore. So, and at this point, I don't know who's in the race still or who's suspended their campaign because it's like it's so much going on over there. You know, it's like watching a three-ring circus, and it's just excitement all over the place, you know, but excitement not in a good, funny, amusing way. It's just, you know, one horrifying act you know, after the other. But if you really want to understand what's happening with, you know, um, these political parties now, and if you want to do a comparative analysis, I would tell you to compare Donald Trump's campaign to Strom Thurmond's campaign in 1948, as well as George Wallace's campaign in 1968. So go back in contrast all three of those different campaigns. And you it will open your eyes because, again, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later on in the show, but it seems as though um, we're going back to, you know, an authoritarian type of government and that that is what people want, it seems, you know, especially with what's happening with Donald Trump This is absolutely amazing in a very scary way, but amazing. Um, The other day, I'm not sure if you guys keep up with the news, but Donald Trump held a rally, and he had the people raise their right hands and pledge to vote for him and to get out and to vote. And if you go and you look at some of those pictures, that shit is scary. I was watching it, and I was reading the articles, And, you know, know, the hairs on my arms started standing up. What are we doing? What are we allowing? We have to address this, guys, because this is very, very real. And we've already seen what's happening to, you know, um, people of color in the streets being killed like they're animals, not only by state violence. But at the hands of other people, whether the people are minorities or white people, it is happening across the board. What you see happening, you know, in America now, if you go back into history and you look at the anti-black violence, especially in the South, and you see how whites were able to basically beat black people in the street because they were just there. This was happening then. This is one of the reasons why we had the great migration, not only because of jobs and educational and, 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 you know, employment opportunities, but also because of the anti-black violence. You know, you've heard about the stories where, you know, young people or black people, it it didn't matter if you were young or old, black people had, if there were a bunch of whites walking down the street black people had to step off into the street to allow them to pass. You know, and, and black people had to avert their eyes when when, you know, walking down the street and coming to, you know, face to face with white people. Avert your eyes. Do not look them in the face. You know, and there were a number of other things and you know, um it's just really interesting because I posted an article. This was many, many moons ago, and I think I'm going to find it again and repost it. And it was talking about Ida B. Wells and an anti-lynching campaign. And I know I've mentioned this on the last show or two and how we feel as though there needs to be an anti-lynching campaign now. Um, (laughs) Because the lynching is, you know, killing them out in the streets, denying them opportunities. A number of different issues happening there and that need to be addressed, but, you know, what I need for people to understand is our our pleas, you know, t- for help, you know, we're, our pleas to have, you know, a lot of these laws examined and turned over and, you know, so on and so forth, You know, they're being ignored, not only are they, you know, pretty much being ignored now, they were being ignored then. So, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of, you know, what's happening and how it's indicative of the racist, you know, policies and environment that has been cultivated in America, you know, and it's just amazing, absolutely amazing how all of this came about and how nothing has really changed. You know, not much has changed. But instead of, you know, a lot of these Klansmen, instead of them wearing overalls, now they're wearing a three-piece suit. And instead of, you know, carrying, <laughs> instead of carrying a pitchfork and some rope, now they're carrying a briefcase. And you just need to pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening. And... um It's just interesting because I sit back and I watch a lot of conversations, you know, on social media, just kind of keep up and watch and read a number of different blogs and writers. And, you know, we've talked about some of the chatter that we've had coming from some of our white allies. And, you know, some of the chatter has been, well, why are they getting so agitated, and, and and you know, I've had people tell me or ask me, no, not ask, they told me, why do you put these types of articles up where all it's going to do is agitate people? Now, mind you, there is no question mark behind that. That is usually followed with an exclamation point of stop posting this stuff. All you're doing is agitating an already marginalized, you know, um, group of people as though I'm not part of the marginalized group of people. But, you know, I find it really interesting because that was the mindset of some of the people even then. You know, their their mindset was, okay, you can pass the New Deal. You can pass, you know, these different policies, you know, but we have to approve it first. And, again, that was coming from the very powerful, you know, South D- Dixiecrats, also known as the Democrats. I don't really want to get into too much of that yet. But the thing was is that they had to approve a lot of those policies and be given basically the right to administer it as they saw fit, which meant that a lot of minorities, it wasn't just black people in America, you know, the um, Mexicans or the Latinos, Chicanos, um, Hispanic people, you know. This is why I tell people to go and read. Because if you go back and you take a look at the anti-Irish, you know, violence and rhetoric of that day, and how that, you know, and how that community, in an effort to get from under the oppression, they had to learn anti-blackness as well. And what's interesting, you know, again, you have the Italians. Italians were being lynched. Filipinos were being lynched and mistreated. Just go back. You know, there's a lot of this history people don't know. I remember in one particular group on Facebook, now, one of these people, I don't do a lot of talking in these groups, and every once in a while I'll chime in. And so they were talking about, you know, how a lot of people would try to deflect and say, well, white people were slaves too. Well, that's not exactly correct. They were indentured servants. And after seven years of, you know, servitude, then they would be granted their freedom. But, um, you know, just talking about that, and then when I gave them the links to how other groups were being lynched in this country, you know, then they were, you know, they were happy to hear that. And then the fact that it was not a HOTEP answer. And, oh, yeah, I've got to make sure I make this clear. This is a HOTEP-free zone. We don't do the whole over here. So, yeah, whole TEP, no TEP, no. So, you know, it's really interesting um, when you look at the history, you know, because it's like as I read these books and do more research and look this information up, I just kind of laugh because, you know, one can become more militarized when you start – Educating yourself or exploring or you know um informing yourself and others of what has happened in the past, and across the board, you know this is not stuff that they teach in school; they may gloss over you know a few things, but the majority of this no, and that's why you know I tell you guys to go and research this and what I find interesting with some of these allies, as I alluded to earlier. You know, they want us to give them something that they are not willing to give us back. You know, they want us to be docile, anti-violent, vulnerable, gullible. But again, you know, you have some of these same people who basically will sit there and refuse to believe us when we tell them what's happening in our communities and how we are, you know, left out of different programs, how we're being discriminated against. And I posted an article a while ago. I may go and look for it and and post it again. But if you're white allies, if you're white allies, do not believe the abuse and discrimination and the racism and all of that that you're facing and dealing with, That's not your friend. That's not your ally. And it's just, you know, it's mind-boggling when I start, you know, listening and watching some of these conversations. And you want something from us that you're not willing to give us. You want us to trust you, but you don't trust us. You want us to follow you, but you won't follow us. We're leading you. We're pointing at the problem. We're talking about the problem, but you refuse to believe that it exists. And, again, you know, I've talked about that false dichotomy of race versus class. And you have to understand how race is viewed in America and how it's been set up. There is a hierarchy to whiteness. You know, and I talked a little bit about it last week. You know, at the bottom of the ladder, basically are Italians from the southern region of of Italy because they're dark. And you have Irish people and Polish people. And it's just go. Do some reading. You know, if you need a white person to tell you, go look up Tim Wise. You know, he read some other black people's stuff, and he rewrote it and repackaged it as his own. But go and read it. If you have to, you know, hear it from another white person, go and read it. You know, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, what gets me is a lot of these white people want us to give them the benefit of the doubt. But yet, you know, yet they're skeptical and cynical of anything that we talk about, you know, as far as anything being problematic, when we talk about the problems and the issues. And so, you know, and it's not just white people. You know, you have people within your own communities that have the same mindset. And so that's why last week I was talking about, you know, certain groups in this country that the reason why they get along with some of these other people is because it's nothing but white supremacy and black face. It's the same message, the exact same message. That's why they get along. So, you know, like I said, you know, in in America and throughout the world, because it's not just happening here. Go and see what's happening. You know, with with Africans even in Africa. You know how it's being taken over, and it's it's just it's it's amazing. And you know, last week I talked a little bit about the Panthers, but the week before, I really went into some details. And this is one thing that we as Americans need to start doing. We need to start looking at other cultures and other countries. Because, again, go and look up the history behind the Black Panthers in England. You know, and a number of other groups around the world that were working and protesting in solidarity with what was happening here in America. They're waiting on us. They're watching us to see what happens next. Because, you know, again, it's not just in America that, you know, blacks are being killed and beaten and raped and just a number of atrocities. This is happening around the world. And sometimes this is what causes resentment with, you know, people from other countries in regards to black Americans. Because whenever, you know, issues of race or major issues of race are brought up, it's always pointed back to America. And people in other countries feel that their issues are being marginalized and overshadowed by, you know, the blacks in America. So that creates another um, situation that's problematic. And so, you know, I would encourage you guys, go out and learn something about people other than what's happening in this country. Now, I'm not saying stop studying what's happening here and gleaning a better understanding. Don't do that. You have a lot of people out here that want you to remain ignorant. Go out. Do the research. But throughout history in America, as well as other places, but I'm coming from my perspective, which is American, this is where I was born and raised, this is what I know. You know, and I definitely empathize with other, you know, black people or Africans or what have you in other places in the world. And, you know, they're facing the same issues. We're being dismissed. When we talk about anti-black violence, that's being dismissed. And look at what's happening. You have the police shooting us out in the street here as well as beyond, across the sea, across the oceans, this is happening worldwide. And, you know, right now, you know, I was reading an article before the show started today, and it was talking about how Texas is denying immigrant children. So, you know, if a person is an immigrant and they have a child in the United States, you know, it used to be that that child was a citizen of the United States. Texas and several other places are denying these children their citizenships because they were born to immigrant parents. And that's not only here in the United States. This has been happening, you know, all across the world. I mean, go back and take a look at the biracial children in Rhode Island, right? And you know when you go and you look that up and you see how you know, biracial people and how, you know, Africans were denied citizenship in Rhineland, basically in Germany. Because at one point they were considered citizens in Germany, and they had the same problem over in France. And they started denying people their citizenships. They had people coming in, bringing their birth certificates or their um, passports And they were taking them away and telling them that they are no longer citizens. And, you know, what's happening now is frightening. It really is. And so go back. And as a matter of fact, anyone out there that's listening, if you have any more information or books about blacks in France and how, you know, their citizenship was being questioned and taken away, Um, any information about civil rights or human rights movements in France in regards to Africans over there, please let me know. I'm definitely looking for some more information regarding that, Um, not only just France, but also with Germany, and, um, you know, just, just get that to me. I'm looking for that. And so I definitely want some suggestions. But it's it's important that we go back and reread these things and we understand it. And then we put it into context with what we're dealing with now. And so what I find interesting, and I mean, this is every election season when you have these politicians, you know, basically pandering to the communities, you know, for their votes. But in particular to minority communities, you know, black, Latino, indigenous, even though I really think they don't even, you know, really put forth a real effort with Native Americans. But, you know, they're part of that group. And this year, they need our votes badly. This is why you see all the statistics on, you know, that that are being pushed out there about the black vote and the Latino vote in particular and why they need us. And, again, I want to make sure that we do not miss an opportunity. We need to start holding them more accountable and basically, you know, making them write out some of the policies that they would like to implement if they are elected. And that's what's interesting about Bernie Sanders, is that he actually, you know, um, employed people who would sit down and write those policies and how they would like to have them implemented, and it seems as though he's making an effort. Same thing with the Green Party. Again, you have Jill Stein, Cynthia McKinney, and and Hillary has pretty much... (laughs) you know, turned a blind blind eye and ignored it. We already know how the Republicans feel, so, you know, there's no ambiguity there whatsoever. But the thing is, is that we need to force those issues. And they need this vote, and they need it desperately. And, again, I will tell people, go get registered to vote, and then go do it. You know, the primaries are coming up in quite a few states. I don't even want to talk about what happened this weekend. And because that's scary, too, because Ted Cruz, guys, ooh-wee. So we will be in deadlock for the entire time that he's in office because he's one of those my way or no way guys. So go out pay attention to what's happening, but don't just give your vote away. Make them earn it. Make them state what they're going to do in regards to, you know, racial inequality, you know, racial justice or white supremacy, white privilege. What are they going to do? Because, again, we've been ignored over the years, and they continue to ignore us on these things, and we cannot allow that to continue. So, you know, I just find the whole thing, you know, it's no longer amusing. This this is just outright scary because, you know, like I said, when I was at the shop getting my locks done and sitting there and watching, you know, the young men and older men talking and being a part of the conversation. And there was a couple of police officers there, and they were telling everybody, um, Excuse me, sorry about that. They were telling everybody to <laughs> go out and get your FOID, which is a firearm owners identification card, and then also go get your concealed carry license. So you have, you know, police officers telling people to get prepared. Don't know what's going to happen, don't know what's in store for us. I'm not prescient. You know, all I know is the way that things are going, especially with these Republicans. I just smell trouble. And when I say I'm talking about real trouble, because if that turns into a contested, brokered convention, I don't know, guys. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's going to end well. And so it's just really interesting because um, just go and do some reading about the RNC convention this year. And, you know, they're finding steel barriers. They're going to, you know, put up steel barriers, and the police will be out there in riot gear, so they're practicing. I don't know what they're expecting, but what I do know is that I will be in the safety of my own home that night. Mm-mm, not quite sure what's happening, but... You know, it's a scary thought. All of that, you know, is terrifying, you know, where this country is going. And so, again, I want you to guys go and look up um, authoritarianism, United States presidential elections. And so, again, I'll get into that more a little bit later on. But, you know, again, when I was talking about the, you know, the sexism and the misogyny, That's across the board. And, I mean, even in the LGBTQ community, you still have issues with white male privilege. You know, you have issues with sexism. Um, It's it's just absolutely amazing. You know, you probably would hear terms like heteronormativism, you know, just a lot of stuff. You know, patriarchy, catriarchy. Look this stuff up. You know, we talk about it for a reason. So look it up. I've done several shows. Those archives, you know, got about 400 shows now or close to it. So please go look that up. We've had some wonderful shows over the years. And there are certain things that I reinforce and then I let it go. And sometimes I'll bring it back up because, again, we have a lot of new listeners. And we've done some absolutely amazing shows, if I must say so myself. But um, going and in, in, – listen to the one that I titled The Prosperity Gospel of Donald Trump because he's selling the same dreams and hopes and beliefs so on and so forth that a lot of these mega pastors are selling their congregation. You too can be, you know, a holy millionaire or billionaire like Donald Trump. You too can have your own jet, you know, same thing with these mega pastors with these jets. It's just a good old boy network. You know, it went from having a Rolls Royce or a Maybach to having their own jet, to having their own malls, to having their own credit unions and banks. You know, pay attention, guys. And, you know, the same dream is being sold now by Donald Trump to the masses. And, you know, he's basically saying if you follow him and abide by what he's telling you to do, then you will prosper. And so with that debate this past weekend, did you all see that? That right there, I don't even know what to say. I walked away from that with visuals that I did not try to have and information that I definitely did not need to know. And it was like watching Romper Room, you know, a bunch of little kids fighting over the red ball. Now, mind you, there are other red balls in the room, but they all want the same one little red ball with a white stripe and I'm just like what the what the hell is happening? That was a presidential debate? Really? You know, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they have to say tonight because, you know, what's happening, you know, this this is beyond the pale. This is horrible. And I don't know what we're going to do if any of these clowns win. So you need to take all of that into consideration. Like I said, go out here, do some research. You know, I'm going to post that article again by Stacey Patton when she says, I am not your intellectual mammy. And we all know how I feel about Melissa Harris Perry's comment about not being a token mammy or little brown bobblehead. And, you know, that's what's interesting um, in this country now. Because you had Yvette Carnell and Pascal Robert um put together some videos and you know, I love watch their videos and watch the conversation sometimes. Sometimes I agree, other times not so much, but in many cases I learn. You know, and to me that is the function or one of the functions of social media that, you know, I can be around a number of different people and go back and research and learn from them, glean information, because as you do this research, you learn about so much more. But Yvette Carnell calls, you know, a lot of the talking heads, the black talking heads on television, she called them the Negro whisperers. And, you know, this started when Barack Obama was elected, and a lot of these news channels or stations or conglomerates, they started hiring a lot of people of color, namely black people, to interpret, you know, what the black president was saying, which I find quite, quite interesting. So, you know, they didn't understand Negro speak, so they had to go out and, you know, get some Negro whisperers to interpret that. And you see it across the board, you know, so many different communities and, in in. It's just it's amazing. But, (laughs) you know, now that President Obama is coming to the end of his presidency, now they're pushing people out. And what's happening over at MSNBC specifically is a lot of people don't realize that MSNBC was bought by a conservative group or a conservative consortium of, you know, um, of business owners. And this is what's happening. It's slowly being, you know, turned in a different direction, and which is why when you listen to some of the people that they have now, like The Morning Joe, and you'll have more shows like that popping up. They're already popping up, but you know, you've heard of the, you know, little story about the frog in the water. So they put the frog in the water at a temperature that the frog, you know, was used to so, or acclimated to, so kind of cold water. They turned the heat up, and slowly the water started getting warm, and then it got hot, and the frog, you know, was cooked because, you know, it didn't notice the change. And then on the other hand, they had a pot of water, They tried to throw the frog in, and the frog jumped out immediately because the water was too hot. That is what is happening in this country. And this is why we're telling people to pay attention. And it's it's interesting because I've said this before, and this is true. I've noticed it with myself and others. With all of the oppression and racism and discrimination and just the bullshit that we deal with on a daily basis and the fact that we're able to communicate with others through social media and, you know, emails, instant, you know, back and forth you have, you know, um, Skype and a number of other, you know, applications out there that you can use to talk to people real time and pretty much for free. You know, we're able to exchange information and knowledge between one another instantaneously, and I'll just put it this way, with a lot of the laws that are on the books, a lot of the information that's being shared, and now, you know, you have people saying, well, you have to show me proof. Well, how many, you know, videotapes are we going to have to show you of black people being beaten Of black people being shot and killed, and the same thing with Latinos and indigenous and Asian people. Can't forget the Asian people, too, because this happening, you know, in their community, maybe not as much, but, you know, one life taken by state violence is too many. You know, and so we had to produce videotapes. Okay, now we're producing videotapes. Oh, that's still not enough? And see, this is how people get radicalized. And this is how these movements you know continue to gain traction and to gain more and more people you know supporting them and supporting you know change and so we we and I'm just at the point that I'm extremely frustrated with what's happening. Uh, in this country, how we're being treated, how we're being characterized. And like I said, if you have some white allies out there and they don't believe you when you tell them how you're being treated and how people in your fam- your family, your friends, strangers are being treated, those aren't your allies. Those are not your friends. No, they're not. And You need to start looking. We need to start looking at all of this a lot differently. And for those of you that are upset with these activists and organizers and protesters out here, you need to be happy that there is someone out there willing to take time out and and advocate for you. Now, you may not agree with all their tactics. You may not agree with the direction that they're trying to go in. But let me inform you of something. Trust me, there are a group of people out there that have the same belief system and ideology as yourself. Go find them. You know, this is not you know, um, you know, we're we're not all the same. We all we don't have all the same ideas, we don't have all the same perspectives. This is not a monolith. There are people out there that you know but see this is you know, and I tell people go find these people, find these groups, talk to them, get to know them, but unfortunately One of the things that I've learned, and I'm seeing more and more, this is what frustrates me. You have people out here who want you to go out and do all the work, do all the research, have these sleepless nights, especially when I read something that's particularly, you know, frightening. After I'm done reading that, you know, some of those nights I have a really hard time going to sleep because it's like, you know, it's like this is unbelievable, I can't believe this happened then and it's still happening you know and so it's, it's amazing but you know you have people you know we've become a society of instant gratification people want satisfaction now people want answers now it reminds me of a commercial that I saw on television and it's being played now it's about a bank and, again, it's a white male, so it's, it's really interesting because I wish I can go back to being normal. And what I mean by that is I wish I could go back to the time when I would watch a commercial or go to a movie and say, oh, well, that was a good movie. I enjoyed that. And, you know, I love Angela Bassett. She did a bang-up job and move on. But no, because... <laughs> because of being educated and informed by some other wonderful people out there and reading some information and gleaning a better understanding, now I watch a movie or I see that commercial and I'm like, that is white male privilege at its finest. Or, you know, that was patriarchy. That was sexist. You know, what happened to the good old days when it was just a good movie? So, you know, you cannot unlearn what you have learned. You cannot unsee what you've seen. And so, you know, it's really interesting. But um, with that one particular commercial, the, the gentleman would say, you know, I want steak, or, you know, or he'll just say steak and point, and five seconds later the steak is there. You know, it, it's just it's unreal. But this is the type of environment that we're living in. You have people who want us meaning other folks, to go out, do the research, do the reading, you know, give the documentation, put the information out there. And they just want to sign their name on a dotted line. They don't want to read the document. They don't want to prove it. They don't want to take time to have the document examined by their legal counsel. All they want to know is where they sign their name. And my question is, Aren't you worried about what's in this document? And in many cases, the answer is no. They want you to do everything for them. Because, you know, we were talking about this in a shop. And we were talking about people who lost their right to vote due to, you know, different type of convictions. And I was talking and telling them how, you know, it was very easy to get your records expunged or sealed. And the motion that you have to file for that, you know, there are templates all over the Internet. It's easy to do. I've helped friends do this and get back their right to vote. And, you know, it it was just interesting because that's how the conversation started about people don't care how much work you've put into it or where it is. They just want you to do everything for them, have it laid out all pretty nice and neat And then they can sign their name and go away, or they can pick up, you know, that nice pretty plate of of food that you've, you know, made for them, and they walk away. They don't care how you got the information. They don't care how many hours you put into it. They just want the end result, and they want to be able to take the credit for that. And so, you know, it's just it's absolutely amazing, you know, how all of that has to work so um, well, not has to work, but how it does work, and the mindset of some people. And guys, you got to learn how to do some of this research for yourself. There are some things that I talk about and that I say you don't agree with, and I'm really okay with that. Go and do some research, present it to me. I have no problems with that, you know, but I want people to understand just because you may have 10, 20, 30 years on me in age, that does not mean that every word coming out of your mouth is the truth. Just because you've had that particular experience, I mean, you know, that's your experience. That may not have been my experience. I was not raised in the South. So some of the experiences that are, parents and, you know, for those that have never had anyone in the South, you, you probably just do not necessarily understand. Those weren't my experiences. However, I did live in the South for close to seven years. It was about six years. And I six years I lived in Georgia. Now, that felt like a lifetime of experiences there. So, again, I just find it interesting because You know, you have some of these people in these older generations that feel that they can disrespect you, and you're supposed to just sit there and take it, or they'll tell you whatever their answer to whatever the quandary may happen to be, and that is the end-all, be-all. That is the, you know, answer. Wrong. You could be wrong. And in many cases you are. But because you have so many of them that are stuck in their mindset, they're not willing to learn. And that is one of the dilemmas that we're facing with these young people. Because you have too many older folks walking around, you know, number one, condemning them, and number two, trying to shut them up and shut them down. No. No. Because a lot of these older people are scared and they're afraid, and I get that. I understand that. There are some things that I fear as well. You know, that's just, that's part of being human, you know, but some people don't scare as easily as others, but anyway, that's neither here nor there, but (laughs) guys, um, you know, let's, let's get into the subject for today, but I just wanted to thank you guys again for listening to the archives and you know, keeping, you know, hope alive, if you will. Um, So we have a lot of new listeners, and I would like to welcome you. And, again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So, you know, last week, wonderful conversation, even with the people that I didn't agree with and the points I didn't agree with. I enjoyed it. So, you know, Jacob from Brooklyn, thank you. And I hope you found that information about Black Youth Project because, as I said, wonderful, wonderful group. They have chapters all throughout the United States. And so you you all may want to check them out. Even if you're a little bit, um, have a little bit too much sage wisdom to join, you know, you can always send them contributions or give their information to other young people that are around and that are out there in the streets doing work. And so when I say out in the streets doing work, I'm talking about the activists, the organizers, the protesters. I'm not talking about people going to, you know, um, (laughs) going to a conference and convention and, you know, being given 20 minutes to tell other folks what's wrong with minority communities and informing and and giving directions to you know groups that want to exploit and manipulate minority groups so a lot of that happening and so that's why it's just really interesting like i said i have a lot of admiration for Melissa Harris Perry, because she said, no, that is not going to happen. You know, and so those talks broke down because they were, you know, kind of willing to give her full editorial control, but there were a couple of other um, um, demands that she had, and they didn't want to meet them. So, you know, Melissa, girl, if you're out there, Nerdland, you know, it's time to create our own. And that's what many of us have been doing. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we have the Black Freethinkers Show, because, you know, we want to tell things from our perspective. And, you know, looking at some of the other Black, Latino, Indigenous, Asian Free Thinkers, it's quite a few of them, you know. And, you know, what's really interesting with some of the information that I put out there in the commentary. You have people saying things like, I'm glad somebody said it. Okay, I said it. But, you know, why is everyone else scared to say it? Why is everyone else scared to convey, you know, their opinion? And we need to get beyond that. And in some cases, I I can see why some of you would be afraid to, you know, lend your voice or speak up and speak out, and that's because you want something, you want recognition, you want favor, you know, from some of these mainstream organizations. And, again, you know, LGBTQ movement, you know, the feminist movement, and a number of other different movements, it's the same thing across the board. You don't want to rock the boat. But how are we ever going to get any real change without friction? And that's what a lot of people don't seem to understand. So it's, it's you know, it's been interesting. But, yeah, so, again, like I said, you know, what was happening with the New Deal and, you know, the problems that people faced, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the black cabinet. And so I didn't really get a chance to go into it as much as I wanted to. And I think I'm just going to post a PDF. About it, but you know again, it wasn't just black people that were having issues and problems and being marginalized and you know basically subjugated. you know women faced a lot of discrimination too, just women across the board, and that's what I find interesting with you know Abigail from Texas, you know apparently she she hasn't figured out that affirmative action basically it it empowers. You know, white women, a hell of a lot better than any person of color. You know, white women, you know, fare much better under affirmative action. But anyway, you know, women were being discriminated in the workplace and in addition to that from the workplace because you had people then, and you still have some people now that feel that women should not be working. Some people that feel that women should be at home raising the children and cooking steak and potatoes. And so, (laughs) you know, and, you know, you still have a lot of that attitude now, you know, and you got people that feel that women are taking jobs away from men and, you know, that women just, you know, there are people that feel that women are the weaker sex. And so, you know, they take it upon themselves, these men, to protect these women or so they say, you know, it's not even about protecting them, it's about controlling them. You know, you have a lot of men out here that will try to exploit and manipulate women, and when the woman will not go along with, you know, their program, they try to, again, not only manipulate and exploit, they try to trick these women into doing what they want them to do. And when the woman doesn't fall for that, then they get angry. And so it's just, it's really interesting. But go and look up the NRA, and this one is the National Recovery Administration. And so basically that was setting, um, you know, the wages. So women were getting lower wages, you know, which is why you have some women out here protesting for equal pay, you know, equal work, equal pay. And so, you know, go and look that up. And, again, I'm just trying to contrast contrast these issues to show you that not much has changed, you know, and you had different agencies that hired less women than men, and you had some agencies that only hired men. The CCC, Civilian Conservation Corps, you know, go and look that up. You know, they only hired men. And, you know, these are some of the barriers that women faced then, and we still face these barriers now. You know, you'll you'll hear some people say, well, that's man's work, or men need more money than women. You know, I've heard all of that. I've heard it all. And so, you know, I want you to go and look that information up. Um, And, you know, even then and now, these people were not necessarily committed to giving, you know, people of color a real deal or a real shake in in this country. And that's even the same way now, you know, because it's like we still have yet to have any of these candidates actually say, you know, they are going to guarantee that they're going to address, you know, these inequalities. You know, Bernie Sanders put out a little policy, and that's fine. But you have the other side, you know, whether it's the Republicans or Hillary, you know, basically saying that Bernie Sanders' platform and his goals are unattainable. So, you know, again, if it's unattainable and you do not believe that he's going to be able to get that legislation passed, then then where do you stand? What are you proposing? And how do you propose that it's going to get passed? And that's why I think it's important for us to ask these hard questions. You have people out here who are angry because these activists are confronting these candidates, but at the same time, look at what we're being force fed. That debate the other day I've never seen anything like it ever, and this these are the people you want to elect, so anyway. You know, just go back and, you know, look that over. And moving on, you know, with the New Deal, you had Mexican-Americans, Latino, Chicano, Hispanic, and they're not all the same. They're very different. And I remember that was going around a little while ago, but I don't even really want to get into that, but... You know, I will say that it's very, very disrespectful when you tell them, well, they're all the same. No, they're not. They're not all the same. And so go and look that up. Educate yourselves on that. But, you know, they received even fewer benefits than the black people did. You know, and like I said, I've t- you know, go back and read the material on Cesar Chavez, Um, And what was happening in California and how, you know, they've just been treated horribly in this country. But, you know, again, a lot of the Mexican-Americans, they worked on the farms, you know, alongside with a lot of the blacks. And they were treated just as horribly, you know, and you know they had all these different programs out here that did not allow people that worked in agriculture or domestic servants they weren't able to collect social security or unemployment and a lot of the obstacles that were put in place they were put there because they wanted you know, um, African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, you know, um, Native Americans, they wanted them to be put in position whereas they had to work. But not only did they have to work, they had to work low-wage jobs and still be beholden to a lot of, you know, a lot of the white wealthy people. You know, it was really horrible in the South. So, you know, you owe it to yourself to go, and and look this up. You know, Mexican-Americans, they were hit hard by the Depression as well. You know, there are a lot of us. So, again, you know, then and now, you know, if you don't have a permanent address, you were, you know, you were disqualified from receiving benefits from, you know, a lot of these programs. And this is one of the problems that we have with the homeless in this country. You know, some of the programs that are out there to help them, they can't help them with no address, you know. And so, you know, I just want you to guys to just take, you know, take time out to understand, you know, what's happening and, and why some people seem to be stuck. It's not that they put themselves there. It's just that the way the system is set up, it was designed that way. You know, and um, Native Americans, well, they claim, and when I say they, I'm talking about the government, claim that, you know, Native Americans receive strong support. I disagree. Go back and look up the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934, you know. And what's interesting is the way that they put this spin on it. You know, because it talks about you know giving Native Americans ownership of Native American lands to the different tribes. It talks it talks about building schools, you know, in you know by the reservations or on the reservations, and you know allowing them to elect tribal councils, you know, that governs their local reservations. But you know, again, go back and look up. um about the Indian or the Native American schools and how some of their children were snatched out of their homes and forced to go to these boarding schools where they were being beaten, being killed. And it wasn't only the Native Americans, you know, that had that. You know, a lot of black children were being, you know, torn away from their homes and sent to these schools where they were being killed and beaten, you know, um, in Florida. They found a mass grave of, you know, some young black kids that just were, you know, attending that school forcefully, and the school killed them. So go on, go and look that up, and, um, you know, it's just, it's amazing I don't understand how this is still happening. And one of the things that I talked about, you know, in regards to Martin Luther King Jr. and his campaign, particularly the poor people's campaign, and that was just launching when he was assassinated. And, you know, with that particular campaign, he was bringing everybody together. So it wasn't just, you know, black people. It wasn't just black people and Latino people. You know, it had Native Americans, it had Asians, it had whites. And his message had started, you know, resonating with a lot of whites, um, particularly poor whites. And so that's what made it dangerous because, again, you have different actions out there that do not want us getting together and working together to affect change. And so, you know, again, you know, I've talked about social contracts and how all of that is set up. And a lot of what we're seeing now, especially with, you know, some of these racist whites out here, you know, they're trying to basically negotiate a new social contract. And go back to the earlier days of the Tea Party. I mean, even now, it's not like they changed their rhetoric. They haven't. But go back and you'll see them talking about jobs that are needed for white men and, you know, and how these black people and, you know, these immigrants are coming over here and taking away from white families and taking food out of the mouths of white families i just find it you know i look at this and um i'm like i can't be the only one who sees what's happening out here and who finds this extremely disturbing so again we need to talk more and more about how we can work together to move forward so anyway um the New Deal. It's just it's really interesting, and I talked a little bit last week. Didn't get a chance to really go into details as to how black people used to vote for the party of Lincoln, which were the Republicans, and how they crossed over to the you know the Democratic Party, and um, it had everything to do with the New Deal. Because we were sold the idea that we would, you know, reap benefits from these particular programs, that, you know, our voices would be heard. And that was not the case, because what happened, in order for this new deal to be passed, they needed the votes of, you know, the Southerners. And so they had to make compromises. So anyway, um, there were a lot of African Americans that were, you know, marginalized, not only in the South, but in the North, because if you go and you look up the Federal Housing Authority, you know, how they discriminated against minorities. So whether it's African Americans, Latinos, indigenous, and and in some cases, Asians, You know, go back and think about what happened in 2007, 2008 when that bubble burst and what's happening now. You know, I see in the news, you know, frequently about how certain banks have been fined because they had higher interest rates for black people. They gave black people higher interest rates. Um, and how some black people were tricked out of their property, and a number of things. So this is not anything new. It's just a continuation. And even the fines that some of these banks have to pay, you know, they're just a drop in a bucket. But what was supposed to be the wall of segregation being dismantled and kicked down know what the you know federal housing authority did was it strengthened those walls and built them even higher. So there was a lot of segregation and you know again we've talked about these suburban white enclaves that surrounds the inner city. And that was done on purpose. So, you know, go and look up um information about the GI bill and the loans home loans and you know how many were given out and out of that total number how many went to blacks and so you know you had these black veterans coming back into this country you know and they were treated worse over here than they were when they went to the other countries which is why you know you know this is why I don't understand how some of the people in this country you know they absolutely refuse To understand and to even look at some of these problems, you know, even after we've brought it up. But, you know, the same thing in employment. You know, last week I talked about how, you know, over a half million blacks lost their jobs. With the passing of the New Deal and and how blacks were relegated to certain types of positions, and if other positions were open, they were open to white people, and if none of the white people wanted the position, then they would think about giving it to a black person. Go and look that up you know but this is the thing that's happening, you know that was happening then and now and how these same people look the other way when when you know with anti-black anti-black violence that's happening now. Look at all the people who are crossing out Black Lives Matter and putting all lives matter. You know, to me, you know, you're still crossing I mean just total disregard, just total dismissal. And it's still happening. And then they want to turn around and scapegoat the black community when when they don't get what they want. Or if, if you know if they're ruled against in a case. You know, because that's what's getting ready to happen. Now, and I want you guys to mark my words what's happening now with Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders with the black community? It's a little little situation there. And you know, you're going to have, and this is something that I've seen on the internet. And I put an article on my wall talking about the Barney, the Barney, the Bernie um, followers and supporters and how they're Bernie splaining shit to black folks and telling us that voting for someone other than Bernie Sanders is voting against our better interests. Now, we've heard that a number of times over the years. And to be honest with you, the Democrats and Republicans are on the same damn bullshit And after they're done up there giving their stump speeches, they all go out for a drink and a laugh. They're the same. They're really no different from each other. And so, you know, again, you have these people out here that are zealously, you know, following Bernie Sanders. And if Bernie Sanders loses... These are some of the same people who are saying they will not vote for Hillary. And it's just interesting because if they sit on their hands and not vote, and then you have the people out here that just don't vote and don't believe in voting, others that will go get registered, but, you know, the way that it's set up in this country, you know, they really aren't able to take time off from work. However, there are laws on the books that your job is supposed to give you the opportunity to go vote. They're supposed to give you time off to go and do that. But with what's happening, especially in Alabama, they shut down 28 um, DMVs, or Department of Motor Vehicles. They had 31 in the state of Alabama, and out of the 31, they shut down 28. So that only leaves three. And those three are not in 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 counties or cities where you have predominantly black people. They shut them down,
1: you know, in an
0: effort to, you know, to discourage people from voting. And it's not just Alabama. Look at what they did in Texas and North Carolina. I live in Illinois. I had a hard time registering to vote several years ago. And so I found another way around it, and I was able to register. But, again, guys, you know, this is why we're telling you early to go and get registered. But, anyway, if Bernie loses, those Bernie bots, if you will, are going to blame community, the black and Latino community, but more so the black community, because we're the most vulnerable community. And this is what happens all the time. When the LGBTQ community, you know, blamed the black community for, you know, Prop 8 in California, they know it was the Mormon church, but, you know, they didn't want to go up against the Mormon church, so they scapegoated black people, and that's what's going to happen with this election too, and let's say Bernie wins, and Hillary doesn't win, well, I mean, just pay attention, they already had the attitude in 2008 when when they lost to Barack Obama, you know they had that entitlement. They were like, after all we've done for you people. And you know what's interesting is is that a lot of people have not looked up what the Clintons have done for our community. Yeah, you've done a lot. You know, you you, you signed NAFTA, and so you shipped the jobs away. You signed that crime bill, which put more. People of color away in jail, you know, and three strikes you're out putting putting people in jail for life for stealing a paper clip, yeah, all that you've done for our community, thank you, and so, if Hillary loses again, the black community will be scapegoated yet again because I really believe that um. If a Republican gets in office, namely Donald Trump, we are in trouble. And so what's happening, you know, what was happening then and now, you have, you know, a lot of these white people, allies, you know, some adversaries, but they're looking the other way, you know, with this anti-black violence. Even with the videotape, they're just totally dismissing what, you know, what's happening. And in the South, like I said, um, it it was just, it was horrible, you know, go back. For those of you that have older, you know, parents or grandparents or just, you know, sit down and have a conversation with some of these older people and, and let them tell you about what they experienced and what they had to deal with. You know, and and please understand that Jim Crow wasn't just relegated to the south. You know, that was happening in the north as well. And so, you know, again, the book Fear Itself by Ira Katz-Nelson is talking about what was happening, you know, in the Jim Crow South. It said, the non-South in the main also was unconcerned about Jim Crow, unresponsive to black demands, and ignorant about the major works of social analysis by African Americans and a few white scholars, including W.E.B. Du Bois, Charles Johnson, St. Clair Drake, Horace Clayton, Allison Davis, and Gunnar Myrdal, or my, no, it's Myrdal, who chronicled America's racist matrix. And that's true. And, you know, again, they're still doing that because you still have people who are playing into the myth of black criminality. And they're still playing into the myth of black inferiority. You know, um, I remember when the bell curve came out. And, you know, you have a lot of pseudoscience out there that's being presented as truth, and it's not, you know, and it's it's just interesting because with all of these different programs, you know, the South was able to maintain their racial hierarchy and discriminate against black and exclude blacks from, you know, a lot of these programs. And because it was hardwired in the law. This is why when we talk about racism, we start talking, we say systemic institutionalized racism. We're talking about the laws and policies that are on the books that said that it was okay to discriminate against blacks and women and, you know, Latino, Chicano, Hispanic people, indigenous people. These are on the books. This is what we're fighting against and what we're fighting for. And what's interesting is you have these people out here that just believe and want to say that, you know, the black community, we control, you know, what we want to do and that we have enough money to just turn a lot of these things around. And again, you know, the question that I pose to you is yes, we have money, we have the knowledge, we have the know how. We have, you know, the skill sets, all of that. But, you know, when things aren't going so right for other people, they want to come and destroy what we've built. How do we keep it? And, see, that's been a trick over and over. History repeats itself, which is why, you know, I'm absolutely terrified about what's going to be happening in this country, you know, in the next five to ten years, Because go back, read history, get a better understanding of what's going on out here because this is no joke, not even a little bit. And so, you know, it was interesting with the New Deal. With a lot of the money that they set aside for, quote, unquote, African Americans, it went towards the arts. So, you know, definitely we've talked a lot about the, you know, the Harlem Renaissance. Just go back and look at how that money was allocated and and um, go back and look into, again, the black political elite, the black elite, you know, or as they say over at Black Agenda Report, the black misleadership class. You know, and I was kind of alluding to some of that with the black cabinet and some of the things that are happening now in this country because, again, is going to be a non-black person that wins the presidency, that wins this election. And, you know, we need to be putting pressure on them now and especially throughout their terms because, you know, they need to understand we will vote you out if these policies are not overturned, rewritten, or dismantled. We have no choice. You know, we, we can't wait. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. was saying even then why we can't wait. We cannot wait. So, you know, it's, it's it's very important that you all go back and read these things. And so I brought up what happened in California with Prop 8 because, you know, even back when they had the New Deal, back in 1938, you know, only 4% of black people could vote then. No more than 4%. You know, and what was interesting about California is, you know, it was less than 8% of black people that were registered to vote and that voted. And that little single digit did not make or break Prop 8. But, again, you know, I'm looking at what's happening now, and it's freaking disturbing because it's the same crap over and over so basically, black people were sold the idea that the New Deal would reshape the political order, that the New Deal would give them unprecedented access, and that people would take their pleas and their grievances seriously, and that never happened. And it was designed that way, and is still being perpetuated even to this day. You know, and the further south you went you know, they the greater the influence they had on shaping the New Deal, on, on deciding or administering it in a way unfair to, you know, people of color. And, you know, to be honest with you, what's happening now, and, you know, I need people, I need for you to listen closely because even with the Democratic Party that we have in office now, Pay attention. They're very conservative, extremely conservative. And they back a lot of this nonsense that we're dealing with. But then they want to turn around and, you know, act as though, you know, they're a friend and they're an ally. No, they're not. And, um, you know, same thing with the Republicans. I don't want anybody sending me any emails. You know, it's, it's the same bullshit. They're the same people. The same mindset, the same thought process. But, you know, it's, it's horrible. You know, what we've had to deal with then and what we have to deal with now. And it's just, like I said, you know, um, the discrimination. Go back and do some research on the depression and the racial discrimination and how widespread it was. And, you know, what did they say? Last hired, first fired. And that was usually someone that looks like me. You know, how people were denied, you know, employment in a number of, you know, different sectors, but especially, you know, within the government sector or the public works programs that were supposed to be here for needy citizens, for citizens that needed a job or needed job training, you know. And then sometimes when they were going to these different relief centers, you know, that were supposed to hand out food or serve a meal, you know, there were a lot of blacks that were threatened because they, you know, white people had to eat first, you know. And so, and I'm not saying this was all across the board every day, all day, but it was more common than what they want to say. And so what was interesting about, you know, what happened with the New Deal, before the New Deal, for every one unemployed black person, there was one unemployed white person. After the New Deal, it turned for every one white person unemployed, there were two unemployed black people. And now after this great recession, it's starting to look like for every one unemployed white person, there are three unemployed black people. We need to look into this, guys. We need to look into it because, you know, you want us to work with you and to help you and to vote for you and, you know, to believe in you. And I'm talking to some of our white allies, but you're not willing to reciprocate. And, you know, we've done this over and over, voting the same people into office time after time. No. You know, this this has to stop. You know, and it's just I don't know what to say anymore, you guys, because you know, when I talk about these things, like I said, when you go and you read this, you get extremely upset. Let me read this part from the book here, you know, just reading here, but it says Far more enduring was the New Deal's intimate partnership with those in the South who preached white supremacy. For this whole period, the last in American history when public racism was legitimate in speech and action, Southern representatives acted not on the fringes but as an indispensable part of the governing Political party. New Deal lawmaking would have failed without the active consent and legislative creativity of these Southern members of Congress. Here lay an acute incong- incongruity. The New Deal permitted, or at least turned the blind eye toward, an organized system of racial cruelty. This alliance was a crucial part of its supportive structure. The New Deal thus collaborated with the South's racial hegemony as um, as it advanced liberal democracy at home and campaigned to promote liberal democracy abroad in pursuing these purposes, the New Deal did not just tolerate discrimination and social exclusion. Its most notable and noble achievements stood on the shoulders of this southern boulevard, all the while ultimately creating conditions for their amelioration. You need to go and look this up. You need to go and look it up and you know, see what was happening here. Because like I said, you know, it's a lot that's on the books, it's a lot that teaching you. They don't want you to know and you know there are reasons behind it. And a lot of it is because, you know, it's the same it's the same smoke and mirrors. Same smoke and mirrors that, you know, we're dealing with today. And this is why we say we have to, you know, deconstruct, dismantle, totally destroy this system and rebuild it. You know, this system was set up to benefit white people, particularly white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. You know, if you go back and you look at some of the quotes from some of the people you know, even then, you know they were talking about you know white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, and you know, you know one that's worth their weight in gold would not allow you know some of these you know atrocities to happen. And when they say atrocities, they're talking about looking at black people and Mexicans and other people, looking at them as evil. So you know what was interesting is again you know a lot of information here and it's talking about the south and right here the south then was america's wild card scholarship about the social roots of uh, social roots of fascism in interwar europe has shown how the fate of democracy frequently hinged on choices made by the leaders and voters from that continent's least prosperous and most backward areas those who were most afflicted by economic volatility, ethnic conflict, demagogic politics, and a sense of isolation from modern life's main currents. This was also the case in Latin America, where agrarian districts characterized by repressive labor practices often rejected democratic governance, preferring various forms of authoritarian government. Now, I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to come back to it, but this is what we're facing now and especially with that Donald Trump Ted Cruz thing there that is authoritarian government or you know you know look at this you know. So anyway, let me go on. So both liberal and illiberal, progressive and racist, the large block of southern states played more than one role in national life, including that of advancing a radically anti-liberal white populism with a family resemblance to European fascism that combined demagogic uh, demagogic appeals to lower income white farmers, bitter denunciation of large corporations in Wall Street, the vitriolic personal abuse of their opponents, this most active form of political racism was perhaps best typified on the national scene by South Carolina Governor Strom Thurmond, who ran for president in 1948 and carried four deep south states, and by Alabama Governor George Wallace, who carried five such states. Dates in 1968, but such third-party efforts were not the norm. Opting in the main, to stay within a Democratic Party, the region empowered most New Deal initiatives in Congress, all the while holding fast to the ideology and institutions of official racism. The result was a Democratic Party, then the party of governance that internalized the deepest contradiction in American life. So, you know, what was interesting is then, you know, it was relegated really to one party, and now it's being relegated to two, you know, parties, Democrats and the Republicans. And they're not allowing the third parties in, because I really do believe that the Green Party candidates should have been a part of these debates. But you guys can go back and you can thank Citizens United as well as ALEC a l e c look that up now, if you really want to have nightmares, go and read up about those guys, but um, you know some of the we're hearing the same rhetoric now that we heard then, and so this is why I'm saying, okay, we're learning the history all right, we know the tricks that they played, so we need to react differently, we need to you know, again, come together. But the thing is, is that they've gotten us to the point that we don't trust each other. And, you know, if we were to put our resources together and create this, you know, again, you'll have certain people jockeying for a position because they want to be the h And then you'll have these other people who want to reap the benefits, but they want to control all the money and the assets and the resources and not trust anyone else. And so, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's a lot, you know, that's happening. And But, I mean, look at what was happening then. The same thing is happening now. You know, it, this is why it was so important for Hillary to win that Southern vote. And the same thing, look at what's happening with Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and the Southern vote and how, you know, they were appealing to these particular states for, you know, that political support. So, again, none of this stuff is new, guys. Problem is they didn't teach us this in school. And the other problem is, you know, and this is not, you know, a dig at academics, because they got to eat too, and I understand that, but this information needs to be put out there. And I know, yes, people have written books, buy it. You bought the books, Kim, and, you know, but, you again, you know, I was able to buy the books. There were some people that are not able to purchase these. These books are expensive. I just happen to be one of these people who do not believe in hoarding information. And I happen to be one of these people that know that you can find a lot of this stuff on the Internet. I used to post the Google Books all the time. Guys, any of the books that I mentioned, go over to Google Books, and you'll be able to read excerpts of it. You know, where I'm coming from today is Fear Itself, New Deal and the Origins of Our Time. And this was written by Ira Katz-Nelson. And it's a lot of good information in this book, so you know while sharing this information, I'm encouraging literacy because we need to start reading more. I read an article the other day about this barber, again, I'm still at the barber shop, but this barber who um allows his patrons to pay him with reading books, he tells them if they read books, they'll get a free haircut. And, you know, I thought that was very honorable. Um, What was interesting about the barber shop that I was talking about earlier, the guys there, so when you have these, you know, mothers that bring their sons in to get their hair cut, you know, these barbers take time out. They have a whole tie rack there. And yesterday they were showing these young guys how to tie a tie. Because some of them didn't have anyone there to teach them these things, so they taught them about the different ways to tie a tie. One barber was showing one young man how to you know shave, so I just thought that was admirable. It doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but I just thought that was sweet anyway so so um you know, guys, you know, go read it's a lot of information, and so you know when you see these clansmen. And Nazis and all of them openly supporting Donald Trump. And then he wants to play word games. Any other time, he's not confused about a damn thing, but he doesn't necessarily know what these people stand for. And he's referred to David Duke before, guys. I'm telling you, they are out here. You know, a lot of these people, a lot of these white people, but men in particular, and that's white and black men, like the feigned ignorance. They know damn well what's happening, but oh, I don't recall. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, it goes in one ear or out the other. Then they start stuttering and shit. That's when you know they're lying to you. But, um. It's just interesting when you start reading about this and what was happening then and what's happening now. You know, it's just it's absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, in this book it talks about the urban machines. For those of you that are familiar with politics, especially with Illinois politics, in particular Chicago, they, they always refer to the Chicago political machine is a very, very real thing. And, um, you know, you need to read up on it, understand the dynamics of it. And, you know, we always talk about intersectionality, but with this here, you need to understand the cross-sectional coalition. So, again, um, let me read this part here because this is what I found, you know, profound, right? So it says... The liberal conscience is most deeply touched, and his political behavior seems to the unfriendly outsider most schizophrenic. The representative liberal is a Democrat or an ally of the Democrats, but in the ranks of the democracy are most of the most violent enemies of the integration of the Negro into American community. This is no doubt accidental. It arises from the localization of the most acute form of the color problem in the region where the Democratic Party is traditionally strongest. The necessity of holding the national party together makes for strange bedfellows and strange deals. And so, you know, this is what I'm talking about when I say, you know, they're the same. They go to the back rooms, they make these deals You know, and in many cases, they hold the same type of, you know, contentious viewpoints regarding, you know, people of color or black people in America. And we need to deal with it and understand it. You know, not all Democrats love black people, you know, and you have some out here, they're wonderful actors, they should get Academy Awards when they try to convince us that they're our friends. We already know the Republicans. They don't give no damn, okay? They're going to call you a nigga and keep it moving and and, and, and tell you to know your place. You know, and so there's a lot of damage that was done, the New Deal, in regards to black communities. And, you know, we're still dealing with some of the after effects of it now. And we're still dealing with, you know, a lot of these policies that have hurt us. So, again, go through the archives, you know, because I was talking about the inner city blues and all of that. Go. Read it. You know, also pick up When Affirmative Action Was White by Ira Nelson, another excellent book I did a show about affirmative action and, um, you know, I had some white allies contact me and basically they were surprised and shocked and at first didn't believe it. Then they went out and researched it and found out that I was right. Affirmative action was created primarily for white women and white women whose husbands served in the military so that these white women would be able to survive when their husband was gone. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, the military don't exactly pay a lot of money. But um, go back, look up Social Security, go and look up unemployment, domestic workers, you know, agricultural workers, and even back then. And, you know, we talked about how a lot of these farmers were paid not to grow as many crops as they could, or if they grew too many, they would take those crops and put them in a silo somewhere and let it rot. And that still happens to this day. Don't forget about the Department of Justice and how they had to pay, well, okay, they said they were going to pay some of these black farmers um, that were discriminated against. And so, you know, still waiting on that money, you know. So, you know, everybody talks about, you know, what's happening now and the Department of Justice and these inquiries into state violence. And, you know, back then the Department of Justice ignored, you know, the pleas and the cries for help of black people, and they're still doing it. I don't know what else to say. It's still being done. And you know, what's interesting is you know, sometimes I feel like the only people who are really playing by the rules are black people. And those rules are arbitrary in nature and subjectively applied. You know, and um it's it's just it's horrible. You know, and back then, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of these government agencies, and, you know, they were in collusion with, you know, what was happening to black people, and as well as some other people, because like I said, you know, other people had to deal with the lynching as well, and even then, they were talking about unrestricted war, and we're dealing with the same issues now, so... I mean, you know, it it will be to your benefit to go out and to read, you know, this information and find out, you know, what was happening and how, you know, um, black people were put in separate train cars and, you know, um, sometimes train cars wouldn't have food for them. And, you know, they would have to go to segregated restaurants. And um, it's just, it's it's horrible. It's horrible what we've lived through and what we're currently living through. And so, you know, you have some white people that would say, well, you know, look at Michael Jordan or look at, you know, some of these other people. They're doing just fine. Why can't the rest of you... You know, be like them. And when you sit down and you try to talk to them about how, you know, those few exceptions do not negate the rule. You know, you have a lot of people that, you know, they just ignore what, you know, what's so obvious. And it's unfortunate because you have a lot of blacks that do the same. And we've been conditioned and trained to the point that white people do not have to say anything. We'll say it to each other. And at the end of the day, we're still suffering, you know, across the board. And, you know, that's why you see a lot of the problems that you see in the inner city. You know, everybody wants to talk about this so-called black-on-black crime. And there is no such thing as black-on-black crime. Again, that's a narrative playing into the myth of black criminality. You know, the correct terminology, and I've said it time and time again, and I'll tell you again, proximity hypothesis. Look that up. Look it up. And, you know, where are the educational and the economic opportunities? You know, when you have these 501c3 churches, you know, that do not pay taxes, not only on their church, but on their residences as well as the property. And many of them have a huge portfolio of property. You know, some of them are slum borrowers. They're not paying taxes on that. And then you have people going to church and being told that they have to give a minimum of 10% of their income, and that's before taxes. You know, they have to give that to the church you know, and, and it's just it's absolutely amazing. And then still playing into the narrative that, well, you know, and in, in this is something that I see across the board, just not with, you know, um, people of color. White people do this too. You know, some of them will say, well, I may not have, you know, a lot of money. I may not be rich, but I'm going to look it. That's the wrong attitude pal. have the very wrong attitude. So I'm just, you know, looking at, you know, what has happened and, you know, what we were facing then, the dire circumstances, then and now. Not much has changed. As a matter of fact, I can say right now, we are actually in worse shape now than we were in the 60s, you know, 2007, 2008. You know, one thing I will say is black people like to invest in real estate. And a lot of these people lost a lot of their equity. They lost a lot of their money. You know, a lot of black wealth was wiped wiped out. And Latino, too. You know, a lot of that wealth totally erased, gone. And, you know, just trying to get you guys to understand what's happening And how it's not different. I mean, even now, you have all of these different proponents for charter school. And, again, I'm not for charter school. I'm against it. Um, But they're trying to privatize everything. And we are well on our way to that type of endeavor, And you all should be real scared about, you know, the direction that we're going in because, you know, we didn't fare well then and we're not faring well now. And it's going to continue to get even worse, you know. So go back. Like I said, compare what's happening now with Donald Trump and compare that to Strom Thurmond and George Wallace and you know what's happening because guys it's not looking good out here. Not looking good at all. So um yeah. It's scary. But again this book is called Fear Itself by Ira Catch Nelson, also when affirmative action was white. Um, you know, by Ira Katz-Nelson as well. And some of the racism that you see with these Aryans and white supremacists and Nazis, you know, I know some people have asked, why do they always target Jews? Because, you know, you have a lot of people and a lot of Jewish people that would tell you that they're white. And again, that's why I talk about that hierarchy. And what's interesting is you know, the black community and the Jewish community have worked alongside each other for a long time, you know, working hand in hand. And, you know, again, just go and read this and you get a better understanding for why you have some of these hate groups and why they hate Jewish people. We know why they hate us, you know, but, you know, Sometimes things aren't as simple as they seem, and, you know, there's a lot of information that I want to share, but some of this, I think you need to go out and find this on your own because, I mean, like I said, I didn't even sleep well last night looking at some of this stuff, and, um, yeah, it's It's horrible. And you know again some of these progressive liberals out here they talk shit about you when you leave the room. They want you to believe that you know they're your allies, but okay. You know, not so not so much. Um go back and do research on nigrified music. Because, again, I told you a lot of money went to the arts, and so it was really even interesting because even back then on some of these, you know, um, Pullman cars, they wouldn't play jazz or any other type of nigrified music, which, you know, I when I go back and I read this stuff, I'm just sometimes I'm absolutely floored, you know, about what's happening. And so earlier, I talked about biracial children over in the Rhineland, and I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but you may want to also do some research on the Holocaust and how it wasn't just Jewish people that were being, you know, killed. You know, they were also killing black people or biracial people. So, yeah, go over to the Rhineland and look that up. You know, because even now, you know, you have a lot of um, biracial, mixed race, you know, people over there, and many of them are being denied, you know, their citizenship, you know, and that's not only in Germany. Some of that was happening in France as well, and, you know, we're already seeing what's happening, you know, in this country. So look that up. So, yeah, it was black people that were killed in the Holocaust as well as well as gay people. That is where the pink triangle came from. You know, just look up pink triangle, LGBT, um, Holocaust, Nazis. You know, that's, you know, a lot of that is covered there. But, yeah, there were black people killed in the Holocaust as well. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I talked about what we're facing in this country And um, it's not good, people. It's not good. So like I said, we need to try to come about some solutions that's going to help us get through this very, very painful situation that, you know, we're dealing with in this country. Because it's not going to go away by itself. It's not going to go away by just not talking about it. That's not, you know, how this works. So, like I said, if you all, if you go and you read um, Fear Itself, you know, I have a lot of reference points, but, um, you know, as a matter of fact, let me find this one point that I actually wanted to bring to you. And if you have the book, if you go to page 17, You know, that's where you will find this information that I am trying to share with you now. So it says here, and I'm going to read it, far more enduring, you know. Yeah, yeah. I already went over this already. I thought I had. But, yeah, go and read that. You know, it's a lot of really important parts here. So um, not much has changed but yet we keep doing the same things over and over, hoping for a better result. That's never going to happen. It's never going to work. It never does. Einstein said that was insanity, and it is. So, again, we need to make a plan. We need to stick with it. We need to make people accountable. All right, guys, this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We're here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I love you. See you next week at 10 a.m. Have a good weekend, babies. Take care. Bye-bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?